Success in God's eyes is not always dependent on results, but obedience. Welcome to Walk With Me, a ministry of Cornerstone Church. Hi, my name's Tori and I'll be your host. Sometimes when I want to make a new friend, I'll say, come walk with me and we'll talk. My goal for this podcast is that we as women would walk together and enjoy sweet community in Christ. The following podcast is from some teaching done at our second Let's Talk About an Event for Young Women at Cornerstone Church. Becky Jones teaches us about authority, learning life's lessons. Enjoy. All right. So we're here to talk about authority, and I'm a poster child for what not to do. So that's why they asked me to be up here. Just want you to know that. Um, So the thing that I want to challenge us with as far as our thinking goes tonight is there are times that wanting to honor the authorities in your life seems impossible or seems like the last thing that you want to do. So I'm hoping that I can give you some perspective tonight and uh, and we'll see where this takes us. Um, You know, our great example of being under authority is Jesus. And when Jesus was about ready to be crucified, when he went to Jerusalem, he knew what was going to happen because God had told him basically, because he was fully God, fully man. Don't ask me how that works because I'm not the expert. But the night before he was crucified, he had dinner with his, with his people, right? And then they went to, a, to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And at that time, he said in Luke twenty two forty two, 42, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus was fully asking God to change his circumstances. And that is, as a model for us, we have times where we will want our circumstances to change. If we're in a hard situation, it is fully within our power and within our rights as God's children to go to him and say, can you change my circumstances here? Because this is really hard, right? And if you read, continue to read in Luke, the next thing that he did, he also prayed for the cup to be taken from him again, but not my will, but yours be done, meaning let me have the courage to follow through and do what you've asked me to do. So that's the difficulty sometimes with dealing with authority. Sometimes we want our circumstances to change, and sometimes we need courage. So um, there is brokenness in a lot of our relationships in our lives. We can have a bad boss, and that's an authority for us. Our parents, maybe at times we've been at odds with them, uh, odds with our spouses, um, and even God. Sometimes you can feel at odds with God. And so I can definitely relate to all of those things. So we're going to walk through, and I'm going to show you a bunch of really bad pictures. So here's the first one. That's me on the left, or at the far right. Left. Your left. And I was the youngest daughter of, actually, 10 years later, my little brother came along. And so I looked up to everyone, as you can see, um, because that's just how we rolled. And obviously, my mom did not have a color photo or color camera at that point in time. Um, We grew up on a small farm in Northeast Iowa, and my family valued hard work. So being a hard worker was something that they really valued and really appreciated. Um, And because my dad was blessed with more daughters than sons, there was two boys, four girls, and we had a small farm, um, he was always encouraging us girls, we could do anything we wanted, right? In fact, he even went so far as to buy my sister this t-shirt, never underestimate the power of a woman. 
which was the theme for McCall's magazine. McCall's used to have a magazine. I think it's probably now defunct. Most magazines are. Um, but never underestimate the power of the woman was their theme or their brand. So um, we just totally just believed that and just worked really hard. So I'm moving on. I went to college at Iowa State. I was evangelated by that man. Evangelated, evangelized, and dated. And he was cute, mind you. He's cute. So still is. Um, and he had been raised in a home that believed the Bible. I had been raised in a home that we went to church every Sunday. But that didn't necessarily correlate to living a, relation, living a life or having a relationship with Jesus Christ. So um, that was an interesting time for us. And boy, don't you love the 80s hair? It gets better. So when my boyfriend, then boyfriend, now husband, asked me one night, what would happen if you died tonight? Where would you go? Would you go to heaven? I couldn't affirm that I was going to go to heaven after if I died that night. I had no confidence of salvation. And he said, you know, Jesus came and died for you so that you can know him forever. And you don't have to worry about what will happen to you if you died tonight. And I'm like, well, I'm sign me up for that, right? Because, of course, you want eternal salvation and eternal security. And so I became a believer that night. But yet it didn't necessarily translate because I had all this history, you know, probably at that point in my time, 19 or 20 years of doing my own thing and wanting to be my own boss and never underestimating the power of a woman, right? So um, as our relationship evolved and we were ready to, you know, I was thinking he was going to pop the question at any point in time. He actually asked my dad if he could marry me. And of all of my sisters who had been married up to that point in time, none of their husbands had asked my dad for permission to marry them. So my dad actually didn't really know what he was saying. He had to ask him twice. No, really, I'm asking for your permission to marry, to marry Becky. And dad's like, well, of course. And then he said, but I kind of want it to be a surprise so that when she calls, you know, your mom, your wife, Diane is my mom, tomorrow that she'll be really happy for her. Well, can you imagine? I was a Catholic. He was a Protestant. So the next day when I called my mom, I said, we're engaged. And she said, you're not marrying him. Because in her vintage, in her lifestyle, you didn't intermarry between Protestant and Catholic. And some of you grew up in smaller towns in Iowa. That might be a reasonable thing for you to, you know, that wouldn't be a stretch for you to think about. So, um, and that was before the days of the social media spectacular-thon about how you got engaged. Just so that you know. I mean, that was a different time. It's a very different expectation today. So, um, so that was a hard thing. And I really had a hard time understanding why my mom would say that. Because I thought he was a great guy. And um, that led to a lot of arguments. I tried to give the, my engagement ring back three different times on three separate occasions. And Russ said, why did I keep following after you? You know, um, and so so since my husband had not grown up in the Catholic Church and he was not going to raise our children Catholic, he said, we're not getting married in your home church. We tried to get married in Ames. That didn't that fell through. So we ended up getting married in, at his home church in Peoria, Illinois. I can't say that that's necessarily a great way to build bridges with your family when you're marrying outside of the faith you were raised in. Just point of fact, right? Probably not the rock, not the smoothest start. And, uh, and my mom was so hurt, she actually said, well, I'm going to give you two years and you're likely to be divorced, which that was, you know, great way to be mother-in-law too. So things not to do, right? So we were full of examples of what not to do. Um, and then one topic, and I'm going to touch on this, 
You guys, sexual immorality or any kind of physical contact that you have prior to marriage, I'm sorry to tell you, but you're going to bring that into your, into your marriage with you. And you have to pray for God's forgiveness over that, for those memories, for all of those things to go away because it's hard. And it's hard when you knowingly have done things. It's hard when you know your spouse has done things. It's a very difficult thing. So for those of you who are still pure of heart and body, please stay that way as not as a gift to your spouse, do it for yourself. Because in scripture, it says in 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside his body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. So take God's word to heart there, just as a point of fact. So let's move on to the wonderful 1990 wedding picture. Notice the white tuxedo that when it arrived from the rental was kind of pale yellow. Um, yeah, delightful, right? Glad you don't do that anymore, even though I've heard the white tux comes back at different points in time. So beware, women. Um, so we ended up getting married. We went and got married in my husband's home church in Peoria, Illinois. And I carried the burden of hurt towards my mom for saying hurtful things for a long time and really had to deal with that. Um, and because of that, my, I would say that my husband still doesn't have a super great relationship with my parents, even after we've been married for 27 years now. So, so just know that those are foundational things. And, uh, you know, I think there were probably some different ways we could have approached those situations looking back to honor the authorities of our parents and how I had been raised, but not necessarily using it to undermine what they had done for us. Right. Make sense. So, um, and, and here's the other thought, hurting people hurt people. She was hurt, right? My mom was hurt. And sometimes when you're hurt, you say things that are hurtful. So just use that as context for, for situations that we can get into that are very difficult. So on to the birth of our first child. And this is where the look gets really, really solid, let me tell you. So Russell at this point was a month old and doesn't he look tiny? It's because he was. When he was born, he weighed four pounds, six ounces and was five weeks early. Um, and, and I like to think I, I still have my post-toxemia look there, right? I'd like to think that was post-toxemia look. It really wasn't. It was just a bad hair day, bad glasses, bad outfit. Just all bad, all bad. At any rate, I knew that because he was born completely healthy, his eyesight was perfect and he was strong, he just was tiny, um, that that was a miracle for us. And it really caused me to reflect on God's goodness and grace towards us for giving us a healthy baby. Mind you, I had had sexual immorality. I'd had all consequences of that. I'd had a hard engagement time. And then here we are, right? And with this, this precious child, um, that it really caused me to cry out to God. In Revelation 2012, it says, and here's why it caused me to cry out to God. I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged for the things that were written in the books according to their deeds. So this revelation is the very last book in the Bible, and it gives an indication of what will happen when Jesus comes again to create a new heaven and a new earth. And for those of us who were saved, because when you died and you wanted to know you were going to go to heaven, that there is assurance that that new heaven and earth is going to come. And yet at the same time, we will give an account. So I took very seriously, I have a huge responsibility strength. So I took very seriously the 
uh, responsibility from Proverbs 22.6 to train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So I, just so that you know, I'm a thinker. I'm, I'm, I have emotion. I do get hurt, but I'm primarily a logical thinker. So for those of you that are feelers, I apologize. I'm going to blast you with a whole lot of scripture tonight, very sequentially, if-then statement type things. So there's that. At that point in time, um, right around the time that that photo was taken, my husband was coaching at DMAC, and he also had, was working on his master's degree in sports administration. And um, I was working full-time. So I, was, I earned more money than my husband um, at that point in time, and I had the health care benefits. And so I was, in a lot of ways, the primary breadwinner for our family. And, um, and at that point in time, I was also working full-time in Marshalltown at Fisher Controls. So I was driving back and forth, an hour there, an hour back, leaving at 6.30 in the morning, getting back by 5.30, 6 o'clock every night, had a new baby. And Russ said to me, wow, this coaching lifestyle is great. I love it. I love to coach. This is my dream job. I've always wanted to do this. And he said, and once we get done with a thesis, I think I'm going to go on for a PhD. And I said to him, not with this wife. And so he would say that his dream was to coach. And I would say that I wanted him to own up to responsibilities to provide for our family. Um, and so he chose at that point in time to uh, go to a public servant test, which they were, they were testing for hiring at the Ames Fire Department. And um, my, son, my husband is a very bright man. My son is also a bright man, by the way, but my, my husband first. Um, I think they say it's genetic, but we'll see. Um, and he scored in the top 10. So out of the 200 or some odd people that took that public servant test that day, my husband was scored in the top 10. He practiced for the physical test, passed the physical test, and became a member of the Ames Fire Department. And at that point in time, we had a few more children. So Michaela is there on my husband's lap. And then Lauren, who is actually here today, thank you, Lauren, for being here, um, is the little baby with a little bonnet on because that was done back in the day too. And don't look at me because I still look bad. So... <laughs> You know, I, I just hope you look at me today and think, wow, you look so much better at 48. That's my hope for you, or hope for all of us, and especially me. Um, so, so Russ got on at the Ames Fire Department, and as he did that, our family continued to grow, and they got cuter, and I wasn't in the picture. Um, and so at this point in time, Russ is at the Ames Fire Department. The Ames Fire Department calls itself a paramilitary organization, meaning they have a chief and deputy chiefs and captains and lieutenants. And that structure is such that it gives us order. It gave them order. They had a very clear line of command. They had clear communication. And the lieutenants carried out what the captains wanted. The captains did what the deputy chiefs and chiefs wanted done. So that's how God, in some ways, has ordained authority in that area. And there's an example in the Bible from Luke 7, 8. A centurion who was a Roman soldier went to Jesus and asked him, can you heal my servant? And he said to Jesus, for I myself am a man under authority. I have soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and this one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. So... Just like Jesus was a man under authority, he was God's son sent to this earth, and God was his authority, and he was here doing his father's will. The centurion did what his order of command did, and that's a great example for us to consider that we can be under authority and be in authority at the same time, right? 
So I can be in authority and I, I can also be under authority. Those things are not separate. It's an overlapping Venn diagram for the engineers in the room. And any of you engineers, please raise your hand that I'm not the only one. Thank you, thank you. You know what a Venn diagram is, good girl. So fast forward to 2008. That point in time, you guys can think back to how old you were. I know how old I was. Um, my husband got hurt on the job and I worked for like two years through physical therapy, surgeries and that type of thing to recover the use of his shoulder um, so he could be a firefighter. And, and in the state of Iowa, if you can't fulfill all of the physical requirements of being a firefighter, you retire out which is good to know that if you ever call the fire department, you know that they have the strength and the capability to get you out. And, and they do that for your safety, and they also do that for the safety of their partners. They go into burning buildings in twos so that they know that their partner is gonna get them out if they need help. And my husband wasn't able to. He'd get to 75% of the weight he needed to lift, he couldn't get to 100%, so therefore he had to retire. So here he was at the age of 40, labeled disabled. Labels are a dangerous thing. Um, not only that, his shoulder was still hurt. And while we didn't know it then, we know now that he was in depression. He was depressed and there was no way um, that he thought, he saw a way forward to provide for us. And then I also went to work, but I was working for the lowest wage that I had ever made other than the minimum wage job I had in high school. So we were in a really tough spot. And we had three kids to provide for who were now this age, 14, 12, and 10. So in fact, it was such a humbling time that, um, she's in the room, Lisa Wheeler, where are you? There she is, called me one day. She works at the city offices in Huxley and said, Becky, I just paid your water bill because they were gonna shut your water off today because you haven't paid the bill. So being out of authority and being out of alignment with your husband shows up in other ways, right? It might be in finances, it might show up in intimacy, it might show up in who's in charge, um, training your children, all sorts of things. So just know that those things show up. There are other symptoms of being out of, of being out of authority. So, um, it's, it's a really hard thing when you consider that. Um, I was thankful for my friend, so thank you, Lisa Wheeler. I, and, and I went and I paid the bill, I paid her back, so I don't owe Lisa that. <laughs> but, but I was suffering too in that process. As my husband was suffering, doubting his abilities to provide for his family, I was suffering that romanticized view of marriage that you have, right? That thing that you think your husband is gonna be this way and you're never gonna have struggles and there's never gonna be suffering. I don't wanna burst any of your um, Jane Austen bubbles, but the reality is is that uh, sometimes we're asked to suffer, right? And it refines our character. Um, I blamed Russ for the bad relationship we had with my family. Um, I felt I had given up a lot to get married to him and to follow him. I had given up getting married in my home church. I had given up a lot of things. And so I was trying to assert myself saying, hey, I've given up a lot to be your wife and you're not even taking care of business here at all. Um, because he was still laying on the sofa in the same spot when I got home at the end of the day after working all day. So that led to a lot of anger, led to a lot of tension. Um, it was just not a happy household at all. 
But the thing is, is that I wasn't necessarily obeying God's directive. In Titus 2, 3, and 5, it says, Older women are to teach what is good, so they may encourage you younger women, all of you in this room, to love your husbands, love your children, be self-controlled, pure, homemakers, kind, and submissive to their husbands so that God's message will not be slandered. And also in Ephesians 5, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. But equally so, and Russ would say that he wasn't also doing his part. He was not loving his, his wife, me, as Christ loves the church because he gave himself for her to make her holy. I mean, Russ wasn't necessarily laying down his own life. But when you're in the middle of a depression, I'm sure that your brain isn't necessarily working in the right way. Um, so there was a lot of tension. So what's interesting about the entire situation is that I, at that point in time, was uh, a leader in Bible study fellowship here in Ames, and we were having a spring retreat, and I was really praying that the Lord would speak to me. Like, I really wanted to hear from the Lord because I was at the end. I had nothing to give. I had nothing left. And um, I said, Lord, I just want to hear from you this weekend. And God is so good to us. Um, the very first night, they start with a song. They would always start with a song, and the singing was, I mean, these women could really rock it. Well, you know, it was hymns, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, and the very first night, before the first song even began, God put a thought in my head and said, if you go home and you affirm your husband, he will not have any excuse to not provide and protect for you. And that was not what I expected God to do, right? I was expecting for circumstances to change. I didn't expect that I had to have courage in order to, do, to deal with what he asked me to do. So taking God at his word, I had asked him to speak to me. So therefore, I better expect to obey. Um, I went home and I apologized to my husband for every time that it made him feel that he was worthless, that he wasn't able to provide for me, that he wasn't able to take care of me, and that he was... Um, on, I mean, he was just like lower. He was like, I was up here and he was down here, right? And I had made him feel that way in my attitude. Um, what I had allowed to happen in hindsight is I had allowed a seed of bitterness to take root in my heart. And so not only did that discontent attitude permeate into my marriage, it also permeated with my children they would each of them say at different points in times, you had really high expectations of us. And we felt like we couldn't do the, and enough to do right. So, so just beware. There are symptoms, right, of your heart attitudes in your lives. Now, there are those of you out there that think, well, the better course of action would have been for my husband to apologize to me. I'm sorry, I haven't been doing a good job of providing for you. But that is not God's economy. God does not think as we think, and his ways are not our ways. So in the process, and this is going to come as a complete shock to you, I realized that I wasn't any good at honoring my husband, right? At that point in time, I'd had about uh, 38 years of experience and being independent and wanting to do my own thing. So, um, and I had been working, you know, pretty much full-time that entire time, but in the work world, um, your boss, as long as they're not asking you to do anything illegal or immoral, there's a carrot at the end called a paycheck. And that keeps you willing to submit, sometimes to poor leadership and whatever, because you know that there's you're getting something out of it. 
And in your marriage, sometimes that doesn't always feel like that equation balances. But what I needed was some help. And so I went and I counseled with Pastor Tom Nesbitt. Now, for those of you that have never said, oh, I've never counseled with anyone in my life, sometimes a little course correction can save you a whole lot of heartache. And this is what Pastor Tom told me. He said he started of all with, with, first of all with 1 Corinthians 11, 3 through 10. And so I'll read the scripture. It's a long passage. Every, the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. And then it goes on to talk about any man who prays with his head covers, dishonors his head, and women, you know, she shouldn't pray or prophesy with her head uncovered because that dishonors her. And that's a really confusing thing. But let's think about it this way in a very simple way. The centurion was a man under authority, and when he said to a servant, go, his servant went. If God is my authority, that means that when I'm married, my authority comes through my husband. So it goes God, Russ, then me, right? And then our children. It's really simple. We want to make it harder than it is. It's really simple. So because of that, um, I needed to submit to my husband's authority because that makes my husband feel respected. And you know what? A respected and honored husband, I have to tell you what, it's an amazing difference compared to a husband who doesn't feel honored or respected. Phenomenal difference. Um, women, wives want to be loved. Husbands want to be respected. And it also honors God because I have a symbol of authority on my head. Now, for young women in college who are in college and not married yet, what does that authority structure look like? Your authority is probably still your dad, right? More than likely, especially if he's financially still supporting you um, in, in your college expenses. If your dad has passed on, I don't know that answer, other than I'm sure you follow your mom's leadership and you expect God to fill in, right? Because God is still sovereign in everything. And, and then when it comes to commitments, there's this really interesting verse in Numbers 31 through 8. It talks about vows and commitments, and if the husband frees his wife from a vow, you're free from it. And, and if not, if he doesn't say anything, then you should fulfill your vow to the Lord. You know, that just talks about being, again, women under authority. But our husbands have the ability to veto our desires. And that's honoring to God to get that um, headship correct. But what happened and what I learned is that every time I would step out from being under authority, God couldn't bless or condone what I wanted to do. Therefore, the opposite of that is I was inviting Satan into my circumstances and my situation. So nothing is ever good is going to come from that because he is the sworn enemy of Jesus. If we go back to the Garden of Eden, like Tori mentioned at the beginning, God created man in his own image. He created them male and female and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And we all know about Eve's um, love for apples. And what that meant was that they became filled with the knowledge of good and evil because Satan had deceived her to think that, you know, you will be like God and surely you won't die. And because of that, at that moment in time, Adam and Eve gave over dominion of the earth to Satan. 
So this, this earth as it is today without Jesus and without the power of God in it is under Satan's dominion until the day that Jesus comes again to kick Satan out and take over. And Satan wants to be worshiped. And that's evident as Jesus's temptation in the wilderness in Matthew 4, 8, and 9. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in their glory and said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. So we have an enemy who wants to be the authority in our lives and who has earth at their disposal to make it tempting for us to follow. And that's exactly why I need Jesus as a savior. Not so that I can have eternal life, even though that's a real benefit. It's so that I can have help in the present life. And Satan's character is described in Isaiah 14, 13 and 14. You said in your heart, and they're talking about Satan at this point in time. Satan said, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So every time I didn't follow my husband's headship, I was acting like that. So my independence and my asserting myself and challenging and all of those things really put me in line that I wasn't exhibiting Jesus's character. I was exhibiting Satan's character. That's a huge challenge when you recognize that. So not only that, Pastor Tom instructed me, when I'm acting out in independence, I'm going it alone. Because in Hebrews 1.14, he said, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So not only was I exhibiting Satan's character, I didn't have any support from the angels who do God's bidding, right? So the real question I had to ask myself was, did I trust God to work in my life through the God-ordained authorities he put in it? And that is the biggest question about authority. Are you willing to accept what God says? Proverbs 14.1 says that the wise woman builds up her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. And there is much, much that I can do in thought, word, and deed to either build up my husband or tear him down. And then again, this example of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, asking God to change his circumstances. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And then he prayed a second time and again a third time in verses 42 and 44. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. So Jesus prayed for courage and strength to do what God had asked him to do. And we have a very present helper who will help us, should we ask. So every time we come up against authority, if we would consider Jesus' example and the coming future judgment, it's possible to act right in that situation. And in Joel, he makes it very clear. And, and I sum it up by looking like this. I will repay you for the years that the locust has eaten, the swarming locust, the young locust, and the devouring locust. I will repay you for those years that were hard. And that's exactly what he has done. In the course of seven years, God changed my heart from resenting my husband's role and headship to one that delights in his leadership. And you might say, wow, seven years, what does that look like? Here's how I am a woman under authority. You can imagine that um, I, I was talking to Lisa Leland tonight and I said, we took a DISC profile 
it was, you know, the disc D stands for driver, I stands for influencer, S stands for steadiness, C stands for compliance. And within the Jones family, the five of us, 10% was the highest rate of compliance in any of our family members, which is exhibited by our youngest child back there. 10%, Lauren has 10% compliance. That means to tell you that I have less. Actually, we all have less. Lauren is the most at 10%. So, so just because of that, it's a natural bent that I have. I do want to be like Eve. I do want to be in charge of my husband, of a lot of things. But here's how, I, here's how I can be a woman under authority. I ask Russ to help me with discernment. Instead of rushing into situations, instead of saying yes to everything, I run it by him. That allows him to protect me from situations that don't support my role as being a wife or a mother. It ensures we stay aligned in what we're choosing to do, extracurricular activities, whatever, church, work, doesn't matter. We're constantly touching base because I'm trying to stay under his leadership and authority. That keeps me in alignment with his headship. If I don't agree, and it's not that it's a golden, that every, every time we talk about something, we agree. We have improved our communication skills to the point that we can re-engage at a different time to talk about it. And dealing with conflict is not natural because guess what? In your marriage, you take in everything you learned in your parents' marriage, good, bad, or otherwise. So it's possible to, drink, to change, to grow, and to work through that. It also allows us to separate uh, some time from being frustrated and re-engaging in the conversation when I'm calmer. Because I'm usually the one who's likely to lose my temper. It's not Russ. Usually never Russ. I can also ask him for confirmation of my goals to ensure that I'm in alignment of what things I would like to do. Um, when back in 2008, actually I, I ran a marathon. I ran a marathon, I ran a marathon the following year. And a marathon, if you, any of you have ever trained for a marathon, is like another part-time job because you have to run for hours, hours, just hours. And, and I'm not fast, mind you. I mean, 13-minute miles is roughly my best, and we gutted them out, and we finished Chicago in five and a half, and Twin Cities in very extreme heat in seven hours right before the bus, before you didn't get a T-shirt. If you didn't finish before the bus, you didn't get the T-shirt. By golly, we got the T-shirt, but it was brutal. So, and so, but that was done. Hey, I'd like to run marathons. What do you think? Yeah, I think you should run marathons. So that was really, really good. As I've grown and as I've matured, um, it helps me accept and delight in Russ's leadership. And what's happened is I see his strengths as they exhibit themselves in shepherding our children and leading me um, where we don't have to fight and be head to head anymore, but I see him being good in an area and he allows me to want to be good in an area. And it's a great thing. Pastor Tom told me when we were counseling, he said, it's like Proverbs 6.23, Becky. These commands are a lamp and this teaching is a light. So the dad has command. He sets the direction. He's solid. He's stable. He's in charge. And the mom's role is the light. It provides the details, the radiance, and the spirit. And so our children need both of those things from us. They need command and they also need light. So in our family, I mow the lawn. I like to have tire tracks in my lawn. Don't ask me why. It's my, it's my happy thing. 
But 10 years ago, I would always be like, I'll mow. Give me the halo now for my head because I'm going out to mow because you're not going to mow. And honestly, my husband will mow. He can mow. I like to mow. So you know what? I mow. He puts gas in the gas can and I mow and we're happy about that. So we're not traditional always in our roles, especially in our household. I think it's because I grew up on a farm and he grew up in the city. So it's like city mouse and country mouse a little bit. Um, but you can have non-traditional roles and still be totally under authority. You just have to communicate and figure out what are those roles. The other thing that has helped me the most, both in my walk as learning more and more about Jesus every day, but also as my role in ordering myself under my husband, is at the end of my life, when I stand before Jesus, just as it says in Matthew 25, which is the parable of the talents, I wanted Jesus to tell me, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. In that parable, slaves had been given talents to either invest and to use and to grow, or one chose to bury his in the ground. And so in that example, I want to be known as being faithful. We are all, in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. We don't have conditional status with Jesus. We're either in or we're out. But once we're in, we're in. So I go back and revisit Mark Vance's message from last Sunday if you want to understand where you sit. Because we know, I know that God looks at me with delight. And we can trust God at his word. The Bible can sustain us. We have to apply ourselves to knowing what's in there, to ponder it, and to mind the truths that can sustain us in hard times. I've definitely laid out for you a path of how others, um, how I have gotten through being a woman under authority. I've applied God's word to my situation. I've asked him to work. And God gave you both a heart and a mind. And just because you're a woman doesn't mean you need to check your mind at the door. God gave you that intellect for his good purpose. Success in God's eyes is not always dependent on results, but obedience. So many of you here today are single, praying that in God's good timing, he will direct you to your future spouse. And I remember wondering what that was like, too, before I met Mr. Evangelate, cute Russ Jones. Um, God has given you this sound mind. So in that process of evaluating and testing what God's will is for you, in Malachi, it talks about, you know, Judah had desecrated the sanctuary of the Lord by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. And so as I prayed about that, and as I studied through Malachi, and this is several years ago, I, I would ask if I were in your shoes and there was someone you were interested in, I would pray that God would expose you to understanding that man that you're interested in, his values. Because there's a lot of strife you can eliminate if you have common values before you even get engaged, before you date. Dating is a great time to figure out if you have common values. We knew in our case, family was important to us. We wanted to stay within a day's drive of grandparents. Um, those were the things that we were interested in, Russ and I, as we were in our dating years. So 
will he will that potential suitor for you potential husband provide you and your children with godly leadership what kind of example does do his parents give how does his dad treat his mom you can pray for insight and wisdom in that situation by using your mind and not just your heart and if you're already married and struggling to honor your husband god is also there for you he who loves you with an everlasting time love may at times cause suffering in your life and in your marriage but god is faithful it's said in his word he will not break off a bent reed he will not snuff out a smoldering wick jesus wants you to run to him to pour out your hopes and your dreams and your fears and read his word for answers to those questions and pray for mercy and wisdom and if god in his great wisdom will not take that cup from you I encourage you to pray for courage to follow God's will and work through the challenges and become a woman under authority. In doing so, you may just find that the cross you were asked to bear has become a huge blessing. Thank you. Thanks for walking along with us today. I'd love to get to know you better, so let's walk again sometime, shall we?